Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, everyone. I'm Harmony, and I'm here today to interview my long-term friend. He's been my acupuncturist for 17 years, so we go way back. His name is Dr. Jag Johal, and he is here in person, if you can believe it, in Calgary. It's so exciting. Live. (laughs) He's a public speaker and an author. His book is called It's Your World. And he used to work with an organization, United to End Racism, for 15 years, leading workshops on ending racism. Yeah. Hi. Yes. <laughs> that is true. That, oh, such an easy topic to talk about racism. <laughs> I, I harmony. You know, you gave me a a copy of of. Uh, I tried to learn how to pronounce your name earlier. Uh, Jagdeep. It's yeah. still not quite right. Is it? <laughs> well, it's okay. It's you know, it's Jagdeep, but it's Jagdeep. hard to even hear it because the A and the U are kind of mixed. So you, people call me Jug. People call me Jag. And this is actually important that you're asking. This is actually really really important and we just i just thought about it now people of color tend to often just discard their name like you know oh you good enough (laughs) right yeah like you know all my even all my asian friends that come over from china they're named john or rick (laughs) yeah yeah do do you know what i mean my neighbors uh roger and mark are from mainland china right (laughs) yeah a lot of Rogers in China. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. It's, it's surprising. Right. And, and for myself, every year, teachers would try to pronounce my name. It's Jagdeep. It's, it's right. spelled really simply. Yeah. Jagdeep. Yeah. And it's pronounced a little differently. But anyway, every year, they would have trouble with Jagdeep. Mm. <laughs> it's so weird. I know. It's so strange. It's so easy to say. It's like Jagdeep. But yeah, I go with um, I, I like to be specific. Yeah, you can call me Jag. Oh, and I think people of color should actually be specific about what they'd like to be called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, other people should ask people of color, hey, how do you want to pronounce it? Wow, that was good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for asking. <laughs> well, she she gave me your Absolute Human podcast. And I just I just want to say that I was I was extremely impressed by uh, your courage, uh, your patience with your listeners. You kept asking them, are you still here? We're talking about something really difficult to listen right. to. Are you still here? Uh, I was I was extremely impressed with your intelligence and insight on, say, your the social construction of whiteness. And so I, I just want to also say that I'm really um, thankful for your courage to come on on our show and and come to you know the 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 heartbed of white supremacy I think is really very brave. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, it's really nice of you to say that. Um, and I think you know it's it's a difficult topic to bring up. Yeah. You know, if you want to get the least amount of likes you can on Facebook, it's true. Post something about racism. Yeah. You know what? I I gotta I have to say something to this. Because it's really been bothering me. If I post a photo of me doing some advanced asana or a video of me doing some advanced asana, you know, I mean, I don't have like the largest following on Instagram, say, you know, there's people who have much larger followings, but it will get, say, 500 likes. Right. 
And if I post a statement that I feel very deeply about, about racism, that doesn't have a fancy Asana photo attached to it, right. it gets maybe a hundred likes. Right. And I was really annoyed and disturbed by this, actually, because it upsets me that people are very um, unresponsive. Right. <laughs> yeah, you want to slow. You want to quiet a crowd. Just bring up racism. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, especially like it's for both sides, like our all sides. Like when you people of color have been trained not to bring up racism. Like we try our hardest. Yeah. Not to notice it, see it, feel it, or even bring it up. Right. And it's good for white people to see that and to notice that because mm-hmm. it is we. Our lives have been dependent on not noticing it or not talking about it. Yeah. And so <clears throat> with white people, bringing up racism can easily bring up defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like right away. Yeah. Like this, instantaneous. Yeah. White fragility, right? It's yeah. The, the, it's it really, uh, you know, a big topic to talk about is the fragility. And also, you know, a lot of progressives, like, you know, many of us surround ourselves with, mm-hmm. Um, they feel like they've done their work on racism. Yes, and that's been interesting also. I've had a couple of conversations with a few older, um, you know, people that are white, and um, I've been, you know, talking about sort of my feelings that I've been having, just like processing a lot of our cultural um, unconscious bias and things coming up to the surface for me personally. And they're sort of like... Yeah, you know, I've been fighting against this my whole life. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, are you are you joking? Like, <laughs> and but they're really serious. Like, they really feel like they've done their work. Right. And I'm like, well, why isn't society fucking transformed then if you've done so much work on right. this? Right. Exactly. <laughs> if you've done the work. If one person out there has done the work, this won't exist. Yeah. We need one person who's done enough work on racism to unwind the whole system. Right. I mean, I think it's super encouraging that there's a lot of awareness and a lot of waking up on many levels of many different people of all different colors and nationalities and across countries. And I think in your podcast, uh, Sonia mentioned that it's the largest civil rights movement in history. Yes. Right now. Right now. We're living through. Not the 60s. No. <laughs> this is it. This and is the most largest one ever. Yeah, it's super profound and amazing to be a part of it and right. to, to uh, be transformed by that kind of energy and right. consciousness. Right. You know, I, uh, I was really interested, again, in, in your notion of, about whiteness that you brought up. And I wanted to kind of roll an idea around with you. Uh, just for example, I remember I went to, um, an all black high school in new Orleans called the uh, new Orleans center of creative arts. And I remember getting, um, uh, a little offended one day. Cause it was, you know, if you, if you use the word, you know, white boy, I'm going to, I'm going to look up, like, I know who you're talking about. That's me. Right. You say, you say white boys like, Oh, it's someone asking me a question. Right. And one day I, someone, someone said it and I said, you know, I really kind of think of myself as kind of yellowish pink. <laughs> and I, and so the, like the white construction was something like, I don't, I understand that it's a thing and I understand that it's a, uh, 
that there's a, a, a movement for white supremacy suddenly, and, or, oh gosh, I'm, I'm going to retract the suddenly part. Don't worry, you're gonna make mistakes. You're right. Make mistakes. <laughs> no, no, because I think I think the fucking white supremacy has been a through line for you know as long as um, you know Charlemagne has been around. You know, so, <laughs> so just to say that um, that this notion of it being a social construct and being important to 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 say when a person on the news when someone walks into uh, a room. You say, oh, but that's a white person walking into a room. Right. It's important to make that distinction. Right. And but people don't see color. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but then I'm, I'm colorless at that, <laughs> at that point. Just to say that also that the, the construct of whiteness is something that, that Noel Ignatieff talked about in his, in his very um, – Marxist book, you know, how the Irish became white, that the social construct of white prevents me from being able to uh, unionize with my, my black uh, uh, brethren. Right. Uh, And so I can't, I'm not going to work with other black people because I want to hold on to my privilege. And if I'm not a white person and I'm an, you know, if I'm Irish or Jewish or Greek or Southern European, then I'm going to lose those privileges that I gained as a, as a white person. And so like blowing up the word white would be helpful in that way, but also it, it all, but like to your point, taking notice of that, the, that what we use as a, as the normal, which is the older white male is normal right. is a problem. Yes. Definitely. And that's what we do. Uh, what's normal in this, what is normal on the planet is a white male aged 35 to 50 years old, who's got no disabilities. Um, mm-hmm. and that's regarded as the normal, right? I mean, just turn on Netflix yeah. and watch the latest movie of the plight of the white man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what it is. It's all, I mean, almost all the movies that we've seen in our lives growing up in the Western world have been the plight of the white male. Mm-hmm. And so what does this do? What is, how does this affect us? And why is this important? And can you still hear this? Because it's difficult to hear sometimes. It's difficult to talk about. And it's difficult to bring up. But as we do, we get to notice how we get to reclaim more and more of our integrity back. Mm-hmm. And more and more of our own power. Like we talked a little bit about how the battle like, you know, you talked a little bit about maybe talking about Krishna and Arjuna. Yeah, the Bhagavad Gita. Right. And coming onto the, the battlefield of, uh, of what is a just fight or a just war, fighting against injustice, fighting against adharma, against right. uh, things that are not dharmic. And right. if inequality is not dharmic, which I would argue it's not. Right. <laughs> then we're all called to be active and to fight the good fight and to not just sit and be silent and to not sit back and watch others do the work. Right. We've been trained into silence. Yeah. We've been trained into being quiet. Oh, there goes the computer. (laughs) Um, and, and, And part of that is like that training that we've learned is we've accepted oppression on all levels. Yeah. You know, nothing will move unless this racism moves environmentalism, sexism, all of it depends on racism being adjusted. 
Yeah, speciesism. How can you talk about like fighting for animals or, you know. When 17,000 kids will die of hunger today. Yeah. Almost every <laughs> single one of them is black. Right. Almost every single one is from Africa. It's yeah. dark. Yeah. 17,000 children will die of hunger. And I know that's the extreme. And we can go through stats. Oh, I have so many stats, but they will make you fall asleep <laughs> because it's so overwhelming for our minds. Yeah, because you feel like you don't know what to do. How can you help that? How can, right. you know, me as a little white girl in Canada help yeah. 17,000 17, children today from starving to death? Yeah. That was what... what what Jag said in his podcast that it was so nice. There's such a very specific thing that you can do to address racism is that when your racist uncle says something racist, you can say, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Wait a second. Hey, so there's a question for you guys. When's the last time you saw racism around you? An event. And we're talking about events and systematic. Like we, and I know you, there's a lot of readings out there and, and, and a lot of information being spread, but there's just specifically there's events and then there's the systematic racism that really creates the 17,000 children dying of hunger each day, which is created through colonialism and history. And we can go through that. But it starts with events. It starts with everyday events that we all go through. And it begins with you interrupting them. So, yeah. I'm I asking two white people. Yeah, I got one. <laughs> When's I got the one. last time? I got one for you right okay, now. Okay, good. Yeah, this happened this week. Oh. Okay. Oh. Yeah, yeah. This is good. Can I read you this? Yeah, please read Are you them. sure? No. This is hard to hear. Go for it. <laughs> so I'm also speaking to the listeners at home. This is hard to hear. This is from my dad. Who we love. Who we love. And my dad was married to a black woman for 10 years. And I have, I have four stepbrothers. Hmm all incarcerated for drug crimes. Uh, Mookie, Mann, Jonathan, and Kevin. Uh, Roxanne Carter was my stepmom. And my dad himself, also uh, incarcerated, also a um, uh, convicted felon, as is my mother, for drug crimes. Uh, my dad did four years in Lexington at a federal penitentiary. This is someone who is maybe, you'd think, conscious on issues of race and injustice. Yet, here we go. <laughs> hey, Russell, how are you? Man, Canada is looking good right now. This country is in decline. People get what they deserve. <laughs> wow. Historic historically, civilizations have declined after 200 years. I feel the blacks are the racists. I want to... <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great and and want a black socialist society i remember when the black student unions came out in colleges what was wrong with the open student union for all people and then blacks excluded whites louis vuitton is a fitting retribution for a criminal accidentally killed while resisting arrest stay safe and I wrote back to my father. Mm. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, nice word. Whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck? I said, uh, Dad, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure the pigs in charge of the fucking police station are the problem. But then I was raised by hippies. Happy, smiling face. And I'm like, I mean, uh, 
I don't know what the fuck to do with that. You know, you just did. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where it starts. You going, whoa, you gather yourself and then you spill some words out. It yeah. says this is not okay. Yeah. And every time that we do that, every time we just say something, we reclaim a bit of our power back. Yeah. Just saying something. And it's happening every day. It's happening all the time. And we just have to in- interrupt it every time we see it. And that's, I think, where it begins. It begins at just a relationship, one-on-one level, mm-hmm. where you're with somebody and you just don't go along with their bull. Right. I, I, I golf. I golf at yeah. Redwood Meadows mostly. Yeah. And it's and it's indigenous owned. And every time I'm golfing, like, you know, when it's random people and it's with older white men, yeah. they will always bring up how the natives are not doing a good enough job on the golf course. Right, like upkeeping or Yeah. Oh. And then and then you just bring then the anger starts. Yeah. <laughs> One thing about Canada is we we like to think we're not racist. You hear that all the time. Oh, yeah. In the States, you hear that about Canada. Oh, yeah. Such nice people. Oh, we're so good. <laughs> the Kamagata Maru, the Javanese internment camps, yeah. the residential schools, and my good friends. Um, you, you, what is that when you, when you uh, sterilize, like you tried to sterilize the natives at one point here? Of course. Maybe I should say we, like the white race, try to yeah. sterilize the natives. And it's interesting, yeah. And, you know, like and when I teach it to, uh, when I'm taught, like, genocide. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, that's still with each step that we take, and this is hard to hear, but each step that we take here on this land, we still contribute to the genocide of the native people. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about treaties we've broken in North America. I always say we. Mm-hmm. We broke 400,000 treaties with the native people here. Mm-hmm. Every single treaty has been broken. Mm-hmm. That means a lot. Like how much do our words really matter? How much do the words of of the white people really had weight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so funny. Cause then I have people that come to see me and they're always like, oh, I want to manifest a good life. And I'm always like, well, you're lying to yourself with every step you take. <laughs> Truly. How are you manifesting anything when your word has no weight? Yeah. And you say these words and mantras, but if your word has no weight, nothing becomes reality for the indigenous people that lived here. Most of their um, languages had not a word for lie. They did not have a word for lie. So what they said was reality. Yeah. That's amazing. It was just harmony. Mm. It was literally harmony Mm -hmm. because what they said became true. Right. And so with indigenous people, like in, in Canada, we have ignored, and it won't be long now. It's going to get louder and louder here. Yeah. What we have to do, yeah. each of us, to interrupt this this pattern of extreme genocide and racism towards Native people. It's, it's yeah, it's, I would say, in Canada especially. I mean, I think it's also in America as well. Um, but speaking as a Canadian, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, people, especially like... Um, older white male people um and probably females too although they seem to be less vocal about it <laughs> karen's um oh yeah karen yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you saw that karen in lethbridge last year who went off the fucking rails at the denny's at this at the the serbian guys oh no. no that was a great video of a karen that's it's making the rounds today on oh. twitter <laughs> <laughs> great. 
Yeah. Great. Cancel culture. I'm in. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> but they're very, I mean, there's a lot of upset about even our government's stance on reparations towards yeah. indigenous people and what a waste that is of our taxpayer dollars. And I mean, it always kind of comes down to money, it seems, for, um, you know, I guess feeling, I mean, it's, it's nice to have a nice feeling like, yeah, we should all be equal. We should all uh, be treated equally and have equal opportunity. But I mean, the truth is, is that we don't. And then when it comes down to trying to make reparations or some kind of uh, financial response to make things more equitable, that's really when you see the anger and the racism and the hatred (laughs) arise because, you know, nobody likes to, uh, let their finances, uh, go to, to people outside of their circle. Totally. And it's like, um, yeah, I always tell people, I mean, don't, you know, think there's racism in Canada. Just ask an old white man about how should we help the native people out? (laughs) (laughs) You just, you'll hear a lot of opinions. Yeah. And that's the thing about racism is, we have, you know, people carry a lot of opinions yeah. about it when they have done not any bit of work on it at all or looked at it in any way. And you shouldn't be asking people of color. Like that's a big thing. We shouldn't ask people of color to explain this like more and more like reading and understanding and learning. Then we really get a better understanding and then we can connect with each other more and more. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's an am- a lot of amazing resources out there already. Totally. I mean, it's not like colored people are, are looking at this for the first time. This yes. has been like growing and building and people have been becoming uh, people of color have been looking at this a long time. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's what I mean. There's it's a, not like, a, it's not like they're like, Oh, we should really put some resources together <laughs> to talk about racism. Like, <laughs> no, it's been like happening all along. Yeah. And a, just because like, as a white person, you're just like waking up to like, Oh, yeah. really? I could be racist? Tell me about that. Like, Shit. how does it feel for you? Like, as you're waking up to this. You're a girl, white girl having feelings. <laughs> I'm a white girl having feelings. This is yeah. important. No, I think, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a really hard thing to look at. Um, especially because it's, it's never something that I really uh, would have claimed or seen in myself. And to, to all of a sudden be like, okay, there's, you know, you, there's things, you know, you don't know, right? right. But you don't know what you don't know. And when, what you don't know that you don't know starts to come up into the light, it's kind of painful sometimes, right? Where you're like, oh, I've been given a lot of privileges in my life that other people don't have. I can easily cross borders and never get pulled over by the, the, um, what are those people called? Righties. Yeah. Border guards or whatever. (laughs) Like I've been pulled over 30 times, over 30 times for no reason by police. Yeah. I thought that was amazing. In my life. When I heard that, that it was 30. Over 30. In Canada. Over 30 in Canada. One thing I thought about when you said that is like, okay. Even in my mind, I wonder what was I doing to this day? Racism gets internalized. That's why a lot of people of color who are listening to be like, well, I don't feel any racism because you're washed with that type of thinking mm-hmm. and yes. you start to internalize it that maybe I'm wrong. Every time I walk into a store still to this day, I have my hands where they can see them. Yeah. 
And I do that completely. And I, I remember hearing this um, black man on TV saying, what's the most, like he was questioned about like, what are you scared of? Like, you know, living in the hood and, 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 you know, you're worried about other gangs or whatever. And he said, I'm most terrified of a white woman with a cell phone. Mm. Oh my God. And even to this day, when I see a white woman alone, I always take precaution. Right. Make sure that it's safe for her or that it, it doesn't cause some sort of conflict. Right. Like feelings of danger. Yes. And you're taking that responsibility on even prior to any interaction subconsciously and people of color don't realize how much guard we carry yeah just to be appropriate every day yeah and and like you know we sat into um this might sound weird but why are all the brown people winning the spelling bees like you know it's all part of the same process (laughs) they're just smarter (laughs) like we had five i remember we had five my cousins sitting in um in the living room one time. <laughs> Before we go to the spelling bee, I wanted to... Oh, go ahead. Go oh, no, ahead. I'll be quick about this. We, right. had, we had five people in the living room with just my cousins. Right. We had 17 degrees between five right. of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are... People of color are many times working extra hard. Right. Of course. Extra hard just to fit in and to be a part. Yeah. But they don't even know they're doing it half the time. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jared Kushner is in charge of the entire country down the States with no qualification whatsoever. <laughs> Privilege. Yeah. It actually may exist out there. I was thinking about that when you said 30 arrests, cause I've, I've been pulled over and arrested, um, never cuffed, but you know, stopped and put in a police car, um, three times in a police car, 12, 12 stops for, um, in, in Louisiana down, down South. And each time, I've talked myself out of a talked a police officer out of a ticket and that's for running red lights, not having a license, not having insurance, hitting a truck, uh, running a car off the road, things that have killed other people of color. Right. And I, I've said, yes, sir. I'm so sorry. Right. And allowed to walk for, and at like by the sixth or seventh that time. Happens? Oh yeah. <laughs> you guys by get the, off like that? Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Oh, by you the, smile. No, no. She's a I bitch. never get off. <laughs> by the oh, sixth, you do it. By the sixth or seventh time, <laughs> people like you realize, I think there's something else going on here besides just that I'm nice. Right. You know, there's enormous privilege. Definitely. Definitely. And when a, a, a cop hears, um, I don't know what's going on in his head. I can't speak to what's going on in his head, but sir, yes, sir. I'll do anything you want, sir. It's just like, it's like, it's like butter on a salve right? from a white man. Right. And it's like the kind of respect that person maybe has never heard. I'm not sure, but there is privilege going on that I, um, you know, if I had 12 felony arrests on my record, my life would be completely different. Right. And I deserve them. (laughs) I think it's such an interesting time like right now where people are starting to wake um, and both sides. I mean, I get, I always say sides, but you know, people color and white people are waking up to this. And as we wake, our stories have to be told, you know what I mean? Like your story has to be told. Your history has to be known. Mm -hmm. I think what's happened in mythology and Western mythology is there's a real separation and the spiritual bypassers come out and they talk about being here now, present, here now. And they talk about how let go of the past. The past has no relevance. 
the Iroquois Nation walk was seven generations ahead and seven generations behind. Mm. They're completely unified with their people. So how could we, how could they ever forget? Right. And I think part of our mythology here sometimes in the West, we forget yesterday, today is because of yesterday. And we have to know the past. We have to know the history. It's the only way that we all can get connected again. Yeah. And it's, and it's not easy to look at. 400 years of slavery, raping, exploitation. Mm -hmm. Like literally these group of people created the railways along with the Chinese. They yeah. created the whole entire economic system, the ports, mm -hmm. the harbors, everything they built for free. Mm -hmm. And then in 1863 or 1867, whenever it was, they were sent off with nothing. 65. 65. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Go. Now make a world of it. Yeah. With nothing. Well, make a world of it, but understanding that we're going to construct a criminal justice system to, to that, keep that works, slavery going. To keep slavery going. We're going to create Jim Crow laws that mean that you can only vote if your grandmother voted. Right. And that will continue for the next 100 years right. until 1965. Right. And when the, the Civil Rights Act was passed by, by Lyndon Johnson, right. and when that happened, the, it upended the entire political system in the United States, yeah. where the entire uh, South switched parties from the Democrats to the Republicans right. because of the Civil Rights Act. And then you have this thing, and I, I don't hope this doesn't sound like mansplaining at home or race explaining. Don't worry, we mansplain everywhere we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and then what you have is you've got you've got the uh, Nixon and Reagan exploiting the shifts in demographics right. to uh, cr to further create a criminal justice system that will enslave a black population and also undermine the progressive left with these, these drug policies, which is completely by design that, you know, Ehrlichman, who was Reagan's main advisor, uh, who was called a Doberman in reference to his Nazi past is, um, uh, is, was constructing these policy points, uh, drug enforcement and um, mass incarceration to undermine progress, the, progress, the progressives in the sixties that were taking foot. And that was completely by design. And then Reagan amplified it even further until the point where we went from having 300,000 people in incarcerated in 1965 to 3 million people incarcerated today which is the largest group of incarcerated people in the world and more in a, a larger number than the actual slaves in 19 in 1863. 60% over 60% of them are people of color too. That's by design. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's and when you start seeing the truth of it, you start going, Oh, what? That's, and that's what, that's how white supremacy is a through line. Yes. And not suddenly arising, no. but, but actually being exposed. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and I had this woman come in to see me this week and I do some counseling. Yeah. And uh, she was talking about how this, she's an older woman, older German woman. And she was talking about how this has really touched her. This is really like, she's like in her seventies and she's like, um, can't believe, you know, how she's really reacting to this. And so she started telling me a story about her mother 
because she's like, I'm having so many feelings of the past. Anyways, so her mother uh, in 1945, uh, when the Russians came into Germany, um, her mother watched as the Russians um, raped her sister and oh. maimed her mom. Oh. And she's telling me the story and she's just bawling all the way. Yeah. And then she's talking about how she put her mom in the wheelbarrow and she took her to the village um, nearby to get help. Yeah. So this is what her mom went through. And she's, and as she's told the story, she was just saying how she can't be quiet anymore because mm-hmm. she never told that story ever before because wow. they were taught to be stoic. They were sure. taught to be quiet. They were taught to like not bring up the past. But as this is um, starting to shake throughout her whole being, she can't be mm-hmm. quiet anymore. And I think that's with injustice anywhere. Once you unlock it, it unlocks you know, chains of the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's interesting because I think seeing injustice happen in someone else's life or in many other people's lives or in a system. Um, also, if you have that empathy and that feeling of compassion and, uh, you know, solidarity and like you want people not to have those feelings. It's also unlocks those things in yourself. Like all those times when you felt like that yes, and not to, you know, make this about like, you know, the, the white girl's problems or anything. But I think a lot of times that comes up because every human being experiences trauma. Every human being experiences, uh, you know, discrimination on some level or, nastiness or meanness or bullying or, you know, that we all have these same feelings, these same emotions, these same experiences in our life where, you know, not nice things have happened to us. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, this, this uh, patient of yours, this client who all of a sudden is having, reliving this trauma that she experienced that was very terrible and, <laughs> Um, that was pushed down. And I think that, that it's amazing to have um, this reflection in the Black Lives Matters movement, you know, in the energy that's being created there, also pulling up, um, you know, our own personal trauma. And I think that's why there's a lot of defensiveness in some ways with people saying, but you know, all lives matter or, but yeah, this happens to all of us. It's like, yeah, it does, but just feel it, just sit with it and be with it and feel what, like, yeah, that happened to you one time or that happened to you three times. It didn't happen to you 30 times or every time you walked out the front door, Mm -hmm. just sit with that feeling of that time when it was terrible for you, when really, you know, you felt bad or something unjust happened to you and how awful that feels. And then, you know, put yourself in the place of someone where that's happening all the time and try to feel that and be there with that. And then you'll understand why black lives matter. Right. When every time, (laughs) you know, they go out, a lot of black men go out and women, um, they might not go home. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Is that even in your realm of reality? Mm-hmm. Like when I had, when I was in San Francisco and long story short, I got pulled over for no reason. Then there were six cop cars with 12 guns uh, pointing in my face yeah. and they're screaming and I'm screaming back going, what? And then obviously things just get out of control 
And if somebody hadn't interrupted, a big group of friends interrupted it, I would have been shot. You know, very simple. Yeah. Because, I mean... Well, you're a moment, terrorist, right? Yeah, I looked, I looked at differently. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, there's some sort of thing that I'm up to, too. Yeah. <laughs> and unconscious biases and prejudices. And everybody gets prejudices yeah. placed upon them. But racism requires power. Mm-hmm. So when people say reverse racism, reverse racism doesn't exist. No. <laughs> White people cannot have racism placed upon them. It's includes power and prejudice. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes racist. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's difficult sometimes because, you know, I have a lot of white buddies who, you know, it's, you can't even get them to hear that part because it's right. so hard to hear. Yeah. Go, what about me? What about me? Yeah. Yes, you have feelings too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we're talking about saving a black man's life. Yeah. yeah. That knee on his neck, George Floyd's neck, right. is all of our knees. Yeah. That's the knee of silence. Yeah. Mm. That's the knee of conformity. Mm-hmm. And it reeks of collusion. Yeah. Every time that you just go quiet, every time you just agree and just go along, we are that knee. Yeah. And it only can be taken off with voice, with mm-hmm. speaking up. Yeah. And I think not understanding your position of power too. I think a lot of feelings come up with that also. And, you know, I think, um, just speaking from my own experience, that's sometimes a lot of the emotion that's coming up is realizing that, that you have been given this privilege and put in a position of power and what have, have I done about it? Right. right? And not really doing anything about it. You know, up until this moment in time where I'm taking time to reflect and learn and grow, but that's not easy either to confront your own lack of um, activism, I guess. <laughs> and how many times literally you were like with white people, sometimes I get them to literally talk about those times that they were actually involved in racist events. Yeah. Where they. Where someone said something and you just were quiet or. Not even quiet. Maybe or said something, said something, sure, yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's go to that level. Sure, I mean, I can, you know, my, I grew up with, uh, uh, one of my best friends was Indian, like, from elementary school all the way uh, into my 20s, and I remember there was a point in, um, I don't know, maybe we were in high school, or it might have been after high school, and she was going off telling me about how racist people were and how they were treating her differently, and I was like, Really? Come on. Like, really? You really think it's a racist thing? Like, just not even understanding, like having absolutely no idea that her feelings could be legitimate. Right. Right. And then delegitimizing her feelings. Yeah. 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 And it's, I mean, that's a terrible thing. But when you don't have that awareness... You, you're just not aware and you're not even aware that you're not aware. Yes. And so to actually be aware that you're not aware is like a good step forward. Totally. <laughs> sometimes being, you know, like a lot of times people have opinions about this really quickly, but I think it's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. And to be lost. And for white people, I think it's okay just to be like confused about it. Mm-hmm. And as you reclaim this, you're going to find power inside you that you've never known you've had when you speak up against racism and oppression, like I made a commitment 20 some years ago that I will not let any kind of an event of oppression be around me ever again without speaking up. 
And so it's kind of hard at poker tables. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of men talking about women. Yeah. But every time I will say something. Yeah. Every time I will not let it pass. And so what would you say if you're, because you played poker a lot in Vegas. Yeah. Professional Whoa. poker. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Anytime anybody says anything, I just start with one word and I say, Whoa. Yeah. And then I can gather myself. And when I, even when I was at that big, um, you know, like that comedy club and that guy said, um, the term he used was ragheads. And I just instantaneously, I didn't have to think about it. I don't want to think at that moment. Yeah. I want to respond. I said, Whoa. <laughs> And then he said, he was quiet for a minute, and then he said it again. He said, well, you know, those ragheads. And you know what he means. I mean, like, well, yeah. you know, turbans and stuff. And, and I said, whoa, again. And the whole place just turned on me, looked at me like they wanted to kill me. Because everybody was just scared of, what, you know, what's going on here? Like, we're not supposed to interrupt and talk about rape, you know. Right. And I yelled out. I said, listen, I'm not going to let you move on with that sentence, no matter what, you're going to have to change that sentence. And he came after me. Like, he was like, why were you teased when you were young? And I was like, yeah, it was. <laughs> and he said, why did people bother you and call you names? And I go, yeah, they did. That was great. I had a little counseling session. I didn't mind, yeah. <laughs> but the whole place was turning on me and I refused. Yeah. And, uh, it didn't take very long and he ran off the stage. Well, fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's funny is funny and if it's not funny fuck them yeah and what's one great pleasure when you see a comic get run off the stage it's yeah. like because they deserve it if you're not funny fuck off well interrupting anytime anywhere with anyone i think you know internally you should make that commitment for yourself yeah mm -hmm. you know for your own integrity and for your own harmony because there's no you know every time you swallow Every yeah. time you, you shove it in and just let it pass, you lose a little bit of your own power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we've been trained to do that. Yeah. I wanted to, to ask you, I wanted to kind of follow a, a thread here. Um, you, I think you said on your podcast that you were, that your family was Sikh. Yeah. Okay. So, and would that, would that suggest that they're from the Punjab? Or yeah. Close? Yeah. I was born okay. in, I was born in Punjab. Oh, you were? Yeah. Okay, cool. Came out really young. So the through line I want to follow is this is um, is talking about is talking about that talking about uh, the massacre at Amritsar. All right, am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, talking about Amritsar. Um, I was thinking about we were talking about this yesterday with Trump that uh, actually maybe let's say maybe his incompetence as a fascist, his incompetence as a sexist. And his incompetence as a, as a racist is a great benefit to our society because it's fucking revealed some shit. Right. And you could say, you might be able to say that, that electing a rapist to president might've catalyzed the me Too, the hashtag me too movement. Yeah. And that his overt racism and white supremacy has catalyzed the black lives matter movement. Yeah. And that our society might change, you know, permanently because of that. It will, which is, I mean, amazing. It's like the beautiful growth that happens from the shit. Right. Yes, <laughs> so, it's true. So people have said that about the, the massacre at Amritsar, that it was actually the catalyzing event that initiated the, the revolution of India from, from the right. British. Yeah. And, I, and so I wanted to ask you, uh, did your, cause that's, that's a, that's a hundred years ago now, right? 1919, 
Uh, a thousand people died. Uh, there was a big mass demonstration uh, about the the British, and it was a peaceful demonstration. A peaceful demonstration. The British closed the gates. Yeah, it was within a square. Yeah. And so then the army came in and blocked anyone from getting out and just opened fire. And then opened fire for ten solid minutes. And as um, Dyer, the um, General Dyer, whatever his name is, mm-hmm. or, or you know, Vice Vice Viceroy Dyer. Sure, there's a statue somewhere. Of- <laughs> <laughs> not, in <laughs> not in India. <laughs> not in India. <laughs> not, not I'm in sure India. there's a fucking <laughs> statue of him in England. Um, and he said that uh, that yeah, uh, I uh, fifteen hundred rounds were were expunged. They counted them, and then a thousand people died. And I didn't, I didn't, I read, I read this quote that Rudyard Kipling who wrote the jungle book right. said, well, Dyer did his duty as he saw it. <laughs> and so I didn't, did, did your family, is there a heritage in your family for talking about it? And I asked my mom, I asked my mom and my dad. Oh, you did? First time. No, I asked them this question. I asked them the first time they saw a white person. Mm. That was really interesting. Um, and I, uh, and they grew up in India during my dad used to fought with Gandhi. He was in jail for wow. 18 months. He said it was the best 18 months he ever had in his life because <laughs> they were all together. They're in harmony. They lived outside and, right. and they're all fighting for the single, single purpose. Yeah. You know? wow. And, um, but I asked him the first time he ever saw a white person and he said he was terrified. First of all, he's seeing a soldier. There's something about, well, Carl Jung um, asked a native chief once uh, about this and asked him, what do you think about um, the white people? What what do you think about um, um, the white people? And he said, we don't know what's wrong with them. (laughs) They always look like they're missing something. (laughs) And that's similar to what my mom said. Interesting. And that there was something missing. Hmm. And I'm not sure if it's from the exploitation or the industrialization or, or the colonialism itself, but there's something lacking that, that, that has been trained mm-hmm. and that, there, that there's always something more to have. Yeah. And um, just listening to their stories about seeing white people and, and even my mom, when she got here, she's like, couldn't understand why people were so cold here. In Canada. Well, it's quite cold. Yeah. Where, where, where you is. grew up. It's a it's, cold place. It's a cold place. And it was just interesting, like, you know, because it's not in the pigment. It's not in, like, you know, in genetic. Yeah. It's how we're in our environment shapes us and mm-hmm. creates us. Mm-hmm. But there's something that really, like, the mythologies of disconnect. Mm-hmm. And people always, even in the West, I always see them trying to separate things. Well, I don't even have no use for the past. I'm here now. Or this or that. And it's not connected. Yeah. And every, you know, this whole planet, we're completely connected. It's an organism. It's, yeah, it's yeah. complete. And COVID is even teaching us that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you are unified with everyone around you. If one suffers, we all suffer. Yeah. And to notice that connection is to really contradict uh, the imperialistic um, Western mind mm-hmm. because individualism has created a whole different way of thinking. Not that it's wrong to be, have your own thoughts and mind, but this idea that it's you on an Island makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It's completely nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eastern philosophy is so much 
more uh, embracing of this idea and uh, even explaining this idea about the, you know, uh, you know, in Buddhism, the uh, interdependent co-origination, how everything is only arising because of basically everything else right. and that everything is connected or in India, you know, the idea of Indra's net with the jewels at the intersections of the webbing and each jewel is reflecting all the other jewels. Right. And so everything is a reflection of everything else and only actually manifesting because of everything else. Right. And everything is really connected and, yeah. And you can't have anything in isolation from anything else. Nothing happens that way. <laughs> and the future is now. The present is now. It's happening all at one time. Yeah. So you carry with you everything that's ever happened to your lineage. It's a part of you. Mm-hmm. And to actually live that way, we have to understand our history. And we have to understand what our people have done and what has been done to us. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting that... I had, we, had, we had a conversation with a friend of yours uh, in India uh, who was from uh, Vancouver, and he had he had talked about, well, you know, Canadians, we don't have any culture. And I, I said to him, it's like, well, you know, you are the, from my perspective, you Canadians are the most Canadian people on earth. You know, you're very Canadian. <laughs> and uh, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into that, you know, but, you know, so you're, you're the days of the week our, our Norse, your numbers are Arabic, yes. your language is an amalgam of German, English, and Latin, and Spanish, and French. French. Um, it's, you just stuff words into, your lang- into our language. Um, there's so much of what makes a culture is an amalgamation of what the culture, of what the people of the culture like. Right. They like things. Uh, the elephant in the room on this heart on this podcast, I think for me is that um, Harmony and I like yoga. We like uh, Indian culture. Right. Uh, we, we, in a different time, they might've called us Orientalists as mm. Edward Said might've, might've put it. That's a great word. Yeah. <laughs> Oriental. Right. Yeah. Knowing, Everything uh, not Europe. Word. Yeah. yeah. Not Europe. You know? yes. So, okay, well, let's, well, let's like, make the circle a little smaller. We'll say Asian instead. Right. It's like, yes. well, that's still quite broad. We're not going to include Africa now, but we're going to include Asia, Asian <laughs> thought, Eastern thought. Japan is west of here, but okay, whatever. You know, then we're going we're gonna to go a little smaller. Indian thought, you know, India is a British word, right. you know, derived from, you know, the Indus, Indus yeah. Valley. So we make these circles smaller and smaller to try and make a category that fits. But, you know, what it comes down to is we, we like concentrating on a single point. Right. And so our lives are kind of based on that. But we are so vulnerable to being cultural appropriators. Right. You know, but there's, at some point, there's real learning that happens, real change. I, this entire hour, I've, I've been sitting in, in half Lotus, right. you know, which is uncommon for white people. Right. And, and so there's something, something real has changed. Right. I had, uh, I'm married to a white woman and, and, um, really? Yeah. And oh. we had a Sikh wedding too. Oh, you did. Yeah. And, um, it was funny watching the white people trying to sit across like <laughs> well, the older oh, generation. Did the, you did the wedding on the floor. Yeah, it was oh, all wow. on the floor. So I mean, oh, it was, wow. you know, they had to sit cross-legged for like a 
two hours. <laughs> and, you know, like the Sikh people, they were like, we got them in our you know church now. We're not letting them go. It just lasted forever. <laughs> it was a payback. But it was um, – so, yeah, there's something like, you know, to what you're saying, the appropriation versus appreciation. Um, I'm a brown guy doing Chinese medicine right. who has been doing Qigong and Tai Chi for 30 years. You guys are white people doing yoga. Yeah. <laughs> the same amount of time. Right. Have we learned anything? And can we say it? Can we, can we be said to have learned anything or what does it mean to be vulnerable to that? Anyway, if someone says to us, you know, you're appropriating our culture, then we can, let's just have a conversation about it. Right. That's an interesting thing because yeah. And it's like, if somebody says something to me that, you know, like, Oh, that's racist, you know, or, or sexist. Let's say that. Somebody okay. says, I don't contest it one minute. <laughs> a woman says that's sexist. I agree 100% and start from there. Yeah. I, I start with a sorry. Mm. Right. Just there. Yeah. It's hard to contest even an emotion. Like a person of color, um, they will have their radar out for racism. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't come out with, you know, racist tendency, the radar is up. Yeah. Right. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So same with sexism and same with any oppression. So when it does come up in that moment, I instantaneously go with apology and then maybe we can have a conversation yeah. deeper about it. Right. So if somebody said I was appropriating something, I would ask, yeah, I would say, sorry. And then let's talk about it deeper. What do you mean by that? Yeah. What's the feeling there? Like there's obvious appropriations when, you know, you were a, like what's it, a native headdress, like, you know, like, you know, I mean, I mean Native American yeah, headdress, American on, a, headdress. On, a, on a white girl. Yeah, at um, a rave. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, I mean, it's obviously when you don't understand the sacredness behind it, right? And why? And it's the exploitation of the people in power, um, utilizing and exploiting, um, and not giving any kind of like appreciation to where it came from. Mm-hmm. Like the stones, the stones went to muddy waters. The Rolling Stones, I mean, that's where they got their name from, was right. Muddy Waters. Yeah. They actively engaged into the black community and were constantly giving them appreciation. Yeah. And so many musicians, um, blues musicians, really appreciate the Rolling Stones, black musicians. And because 98% of the other musicians just took. Right. Like rock and roll. Come on. It wasn't from Elvis Presley. No. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's little Richard and uh, everyone else that was doing it 30 years before, you know, it was yeah. way before. So appreciation versus appropriation is always um, good to ask and yeah. to understand. I have a, a friend from, from high school that, uh, that sent me a, a, a a piece that he wrote about this as uh, Samanth Gopinath, his family's Marathi. And we were in a, we put together a little, um, a little band when we were in high school, we were in a band together. He was much better than me. <laughs> and um, he went to, he, he got a graduate degree in music from Yale. Right. And uh, I, I, I did not. And um, so he now is at the university of Minnesota in Minneapolis uh, he's sleeping in his kitchen because bullets are flying into the house and he's having a bit of an intense time, but he is a, a bluegrass musician. So he is a um, Marathi Indian raised in the American South, who is a master at uh, white music and white music that derives from 
black music. Wow. And he's, he's interesting, but it, it, it shouldn't be any more weird, say, than a white Jew from Minnesota mastering blues music right. in the way that Bob Dylan did. Right. And so he wrote a piece about Bob Dylan. And it was, and it was, it's, and so it was really interesting to read about, you know, the vocal inflections, the affectations that Bob Dylan was doing. But at a certain point, like you just, you feel it like you do with the stones. They, they, um, somebody said about the stones that, that it was plastic soul. Hmm. And so that's when John Lennon wrote the album rubber soul because he heard it. It's like, Oh, that's cool. I'm going to use that. Hmm. But at a certain point, the stones, like they stopped being plastic soul and they started being real, you know, like gimme shelter comes out, love in vain comes out. It's like, Oh, that's real. That's real. That's really good. And it's this, this ineffable thing. Like when something actually becomes really good, then maybe it's not as vulnerable to appropriation. Hmm, interesting. Did, uh, there's a documentary called Rumble, the Indians that rocked. Yeah. It's really good. And it's, um, it's about how so much of what we call rock or even what we call black music yeah. um, stems back to native music, like ah. to tribal, yeah. tribal ceremonies. Because yeah. what happened was like, you know, you got all these, um, you know, black slaves and, and, and like, who are they going to, Mary, who are they going right. to connect with? Right. There's so much mixing yeah. uh, between African-Americans and the indigenous in the United States. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of what happened there was the music came from older indigenous um, ceremonies and then slowly melded into what yeah. we call blues and rock. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Like that it actually goes back older than you know, we can even think right. of. It. Like it's called Indians. Oh, no, Rumble, the Indians that rocked. And it's fascinating to look oh, at. Oh, so you met Native Americans at yeah, Rock. Native yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, we're talking U.S. talk. Yeah, yeah U.S. talk. U.S. talk. Yeah. Indians. We call them Indians in the U.S. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The Indians that We rocked. still call them that. Yeah. We knew, like, within the first month that it wasn't India. And we, 400 years later, we still call them that. Well, it's like Adam when he was granted to label everything he wanted to. All of a sudden, Leela went away and the play of 10,000 things turned into labels. Labels. Chair, table, I've named it. So now it is true. Yeah. And that's part of the colonial system in the mind, right? Mm-hmm. You label it and now this is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And so why is this important to you? Well, to, I, I to mean, do? yeah, I think, I think it's important because I think there's a, a lot of uh, white people out there who are having feelings and um, different emotions coming up, maybe uh, surprise, maybe irritation, maybe self-righteousness, uh, self-righteousness maybe yeah. shame, maybe grief, right. maybe sadness, maybe excitement, maybe, I mean, all kinds. Like there's a wide range of, of feelings happening around indignation. Yeah, around Black Lives Matter. And also a lot of people really doing the work of self-reflecting and reflecting on their culture, reflecting on their upbringing, reflecting on, um, you know, society and structures that are promoting, you know, racism or intolerance or injustice. Um, And so I think it's really important because, you know, we're just, 
kind of out here, even people of color have lots of feelings coming up. I mean, (laughs) right. If you've not really been wanting to look at, at these differences and you've been trained not to, I can only assume that you're having a lot of emotions around everyone else also having a lot of emotions too. It's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tiring in some ways. And also we're kind of left not knowing where to go next or what to do next, I think. And so how would you suggest, what are some things people can do to, I guess, move these emotions to transform them into positive action or. Yeah. And that's such a good question because this is going to bring up feelings and it should. And if it doesn't bring up feelings, you're not pushing hard enough. Yeah. It should bring up emotions and you should shake. Yeah, <laughs> mm, you must shake. And you mean like a a a, a, um, a body centered <laughs> therapy that will remove that will release trauma from the body to release all the trauma and and, and there's a study done in Brown University about shaking and they did and it was kind of an interesting study they would just get people to, to do it five minutes a day just shaking constantly shaking for five minutes yeah. and they found stress levels dropped immensely. Yeah. And because it is, our bodies tend to guard up, mm-hmm. like we guard, mm-hmm. and it, it stagnates. Yeah. And even as you're listening to this, and we sit in this, and we sit in these chairs, and we're hearing this, we get stagnant, and we get stuck. Yeah. You know, that's why it's hard to hear some of this stuff, because it just kind of overwhelms us, and we just get mm, heavy. Yeah. So through this whole thing, if we could do one thing, we got to shake. Mm. We got to shake, shake, shake all the way through this. And not let it get stagnant. Well, couldn't we just shove it deep, deep, deep down? Yeah, I think we might try that. I think we tried that a few times. <laughs> like when, um, well, yeah, didn't it raises the man with Barack Obama becoming president? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It was done. It was, it was done that day. It was done when Jackie Robinson got into the MLB. Yeah. It's yeah. been done every single time a black man breaks the barrier that the white person have, has created. Oprah. Oprah, yeah. another black yeah. barrier <laughs> created. I mean, I, block, I mean, cracked. I waved at a black guy the other day. And it's like, yeah, I've done my piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we can move on. Now we, yeah. And it's, and it's just good, I mean, and to be honest with ourselves and to be kind with ourselves through this because it's not an easy thing to be looking at. And it's not going away. This is the most important thing on the earth is for us to end racism. Mm -hmm. Why is more important than environmentalism? Environmentalism and sexism won't take one step forward until we start addressing that 17,000 children die every day of hunger. Mm -hmm. And they are all, almost all, black. Yeah. Imagine that was 17,000 white Mm -hmm. children. Yeah. For a moment, can that even cross your mind? Did you say 60% of the people who, the folks who are incarcerated are, are people? Oh, people of color, yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it's maybe a larger number for people on death row. Oh, yes. And they're only um, less than 30% of the American population. Right. But these stats, boy, we could sit here. I have a ton of stats in this phone you would not want to hear. <laughs> Let's just say it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it needs to change. And it has to come. And, and not to get too overwhelmed with changing the entire system change with what's around you. Mm-hmm. Remember I went and saw this one old guru in India and, and everybody's waiting for him to talk. And, and it took like four or five hours and I'm just like waiting and waiting. And then he comes up and he sits there and he looks at everybody 
And then he looks and then he looks and he says one thing. He said, all you have to do is make this space around you as peaceful as you can. That was it. He walked off. <laughs> we all got ripped off. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's Krishna. It. Krishna does that. All things flow to Krishna because he, he radiates so much love and so much peace yeah. that it changes the, the feeling in the room. Right. So why would you let violence ever to fill the air? Mm-hmm. Interrupt it with justice. Interrupt mm-hmm. it with your voice. And interrupt it with the word woe. Whoa. 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 I think that's great. We can all just practice that while we're shaking. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Then shake. <laughs> yeah. That's great. But I, I, you, you've given us all a number of strategies that I think are really helpful. The whoa, the, the shaking for us internally, working stress out of the body, and then also engage in apologizing and engaging in a conversation. Rather than, you know, putting your guard up and saying, what the fuck? I'm not racist. Yeah. Well, no, let's actually have a talk. Let's have a conversation Yeah. and learn something. Yeah. Being open, open to hearing, open to listening, open to understanding, open to talking, not being afraid to speak, knowing that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to say the wrong thing and it's okay. And just having... Uh, make mistakes. Yeah, make mistakes. Do make mistakes. Oh my God, please make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. And know that it's okay. Yeah. Oh, screw up. Please, white people, <laughs> screw up. Because it's good. You don't have to be so careful. I think that's it's paralyzing for yes. a lot of white people. They feel like, I don't want to be racist. Yes. I mean, nobody wants to be racist. I yes. mean, that's terrible, right? And so yeah. you don't want to be, so you just don't say anything or right. you don't talk about it or you don't take action against it yes. because you're like, well, I, I just don't want that. Yeah, no. And it's like, but it doesn't matter if you want it or don't want it. It's just, it's here yes. and it's around you and it's in you. And so you have to just let it come up and let mm. it come out and deal with it make mistakes yeah please do <laughs> that doesn't mean going around using the n-word or the p-word or the no. c-word those aren't real the other words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but you know make mistakes and willing to take risks with people of color and, and it's good for you to look in your own life like how many um people of color friends do i have mm-hmm. you know how much have i actually reached out yeah you know and how much do i actually know about white fragility mm-hmm. or white racism Mm-hmm. And to understand, and, and then go one step further, and I think this is the most important thing for white people: is know your family, hear the stories mm-hmm. from your grand, you know, grandparents, ancestors. What happened, mm-hmm. and really understand your lineage. Yeah, you know, and I think that's sometimes the most difficult thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because mm-hmm. you have to realize that that's that's also in you, right? That. Yes that bias or that experience that's filtered through unconscious actions, behaviors, sayings, statements that people make. Right. And like when I think about my, you know, when my dad said about the man and the eyes and the first time he saw a white person, I think what he might've saw is what I, you know, sometimes have seen in the police that I've been confronted Mm with where, you know, they're gotten so numb. Mm Mm-hmm that they're willing to see and do things that are almost unspeakable. Yeah. And that's what we want to crack. We want to crack that numbness. Yeah. You know, want to break the rigidity that's 
you know, covered the heart. Mm-hmm. And it begins with each of us willing to actually listen mm-hmm. and to have feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because without emotions and feelings with all this, it's only talk. Yeah. And then nothing changes. Yeah. Well, thank you so yeah. much for thank joining so us much. today. Yeah, that was fun. Mm-hmm. It was so great. My lunch with two white people. <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> well, we're real happy that you were here with us. And if people want to buy your book, they could oh, go to your on Amazon, Amazon or even my website. And oh, your website. The book again? It's oh. your world. Right. Yes. And your website is drjagjohal.com. Right. Yeah. And they can go listen to your podcast. Oh, yes. Yes. Absolute Human Podcast. You tell some amazing stories on there. And Sonia is also on there, your colleague yes. and friend. And yes. the two of you are wonderful uh, to listen to. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks for joining yeah, that was us. That great. Thank you. Absolute honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony with me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking way. There's a hard wind and the soil